Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanorkas, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode, which is the latest accompaniment podcast to this week's Autosport Magazine. We're recording again just a short while after the second of Autosport's two weekly press days has finished, so we better immediately ask my first guest, Autosport's Chief Editor Kevin Turner, how they went. Are you are you uh, fully recovered? I mean, yeah, you look exhausted, Kev. On this uh, this app that we're using, was it were they particularly tiresome today? Uh, yeah, I must admit, looking at myself on the screen, it's uh, it's not a pretty sight, is it? I do apologise. Uh, at least at least the listeners can't see it. Um, yeah, this was uh, I can dramatically reveal that the last pages of the magazine went to press thirty seconds before deadline. So that is Blimey. way way too close to the limit. So. Uh, Yes, quite frazzled. But uh, yeah, looking forward to this. A, 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 diff- a different task and uh, job entirely. The cover feature for this week's Autosport magazine is all about a returning F1 megastar, Fernando Alonso, who is trying to do one of the hardest things in the championship's history and make a successful comeback. But before we get to Alonso's 2021 so far and discuss the feature the interview is based on, and I wrote that feature as well, uh, let me introduce my second guest. It's motorsport.com's F1 editor, Jonathan Noble. So, John, how are you? And also, I wondered if you could just start by expanding to our listeners just how many seasons of Alonso's career have you seen firsthand? Uh, I'm very well, actually. I look look a lot less frazzled than Kevin um, on my huge monitor. My huge monitor here, his hair looks a bit out of control. So lockdown and Autosport press day take of the toll on a man's hair I think that's fair um <laughs> I can confirm yeah oh, Alonso's history in F1 so probably because I've not done every race of every season I've had years off where I, I missed um 2005 for example when I had a child for the first time so I took a year out then and mixed around but but generally 
been there since all of them. So since his since his debut, and even recall kind of first time properly kind of saw Alonso firsthand was when he won Formula Three Thousand back then at Spa, shouted as the kind of the hot shot coming up, and then this winning press conference, this kind of quiet um, Spaniard just sat in the middle, very timid. Um, you know, being hailed as the, the next big superstar, but I think very few had the idea back then just exactly what he would go on to achieve. Was there a sort of a crossover point or a, a certain moment where he became the Fernando Alonso sort of enigma megastar sort of sort of giant of the sport? Because that's something I sort of get at in my feature is that we're only a few races into his comeback, and it's you know things are so difficult with the way the competitive order is in Formula One. It's not like he was going to come back and immediately start winning races with Alpine, but he's worth paying attention to because he's Fernando Alonso. Like he talks about all sorts of things, as I'm sure we'll come on to discuss in this podcast. But yeah, was there? Was there a moment when he became that sort of figure that you can recall? I think I think there were just glimmers of something special in the Minardi, not because the results were sensational. And you often get this when a when a kind of highly rated driver comes in in a car that's not brilliant. They often it's quite rare for them to come in and you know win races in the first season and deliver you know a brilliant podium finish or thing. It's, especially in that Minardi, it was you know nigh on impossible to be battling up the front. But he just got flashes of just the consistent speed and the qualifying. And I think one one race that stands out was, I think it was Monza, where he had a bit of a first lap kerfuffle um, with some of the cars damaged damaged the car and it looked like the race was over and just came charging back through in one of these kind of brilliant unseen drives. So you, got, you had this kind of vibe of how, how strong he was and how good he was. And then, of course, he was only really gets appreciated when these drivers get put in a, a mega fast car, um, and you can see those results being delivered consistently on a on a race weekend. And in terms of being the sort of political animal that he's also famous for, I guess two thousand and seven would the would that be a sort of significant first point of that sort of appearing when he was up against uh, Lewis Hamilton at McLaren, and you got the Spygate things kicking off in the background as well. Uh, I think it was before then, to be honest. Um, I think you just got got. I mean, one thing I still stands out for me was even during the, the peak of the um, Renault Championship winning years, because um, you had a, you know a bit of the, the Flavio Briatore influence at um, Renault as well. So you know you, you sensed a little bit of that. But even when Fernando was winning um, in two thousand and five and two thousand six, I think two thousand six um, especially, and there was that that race where things weren't going particularly very well for him but you're a team player in the middle of this championship fight when you want everyone around you and he just came out of this race and said he, he felt he was battling alone as though the team were against him um, which then triggered some I remember a kind of reshuffle of pit crew and all these kind of politics in the background which was unnecessary but I think it's become a you know that first sign of that you know, sometimes he can be a bit political and he likes sometimes being as though he's battling against external forces to come out the, the bigger hero, which I think came across in your interview as well. He talks about, um, you know, the media staring things up and making bigger things than they should be and all this sort of thing. So, I mean, that's always been there, but I think you couldn't have imagined that how that would peak so much in 2007. 
Yeah, I guess another early example of that is again from 2006. Was it uh, the Italian Grand Prix where he's sort of held up by Felipe Massa's Ferrari just ahead of him, and he I think he rants about uh, F1 is not a sport anymore if that doesn't get penalised and things like that. Um, but yeah, he was he was quite combative quite early on in that interview. I think it was uh, I, I'd, I'd asked a question just about you know whether he you know was reassessing whether you know he he'd said ahead of the season that he was at driving at his best level and that. You know, that's why I wanted to be back in Formula One. But things have, haven't been smooth sailing. I think it's fair to say so far in 2021. So, you know, does, does he reassess that? And it was, nope, absolutely not. Still stand by that. And yeah, I had a tough race at Imola, but it all got totally blown out of portion by the media, which I thought was uh, was, uh, was was what rather interesting, rather amusing. But yeah, Kev, what did you make of uh, of how Alonso came across in uh, in that chat? Well, I think it was an entirely fair question for you to ask because he's Fernando Alonso and he said that he was driving, you know, better than ever. So... You expect him to come come in and at very least blow Esteban Ocon into the weeds, although Ocon is a you know is a very good driver. That's that's not uh, not knocking him really, but um, but uh, I think his answer was also fair. Like it would be ridiculous to write him off after you know he said he probably overperformed a bit in Bahrain, given where the car was and where he was on his return, and he underperformed at Imola. It would be ridiculous to say, oh well, you know he's he's, he's not got it anymore after. You know, we're, we're obviously we're, we're sitting here just before the, the Monaco Grand Prix after four races. Um, you know, he did a great qualifying lap in one of them, even in Portugal when he, you know, he was poor in qualifying, but he, he finished on Ocon's gearbox. They kind of ended up basically at the same place by the end of the race. So he still had that sort of relentless race pace. You know, we've seen it before, you know, if you've got the... One of the things that Alonso has always been fantastic at is the is the minimising of mistakes and the adaptability during a race, which is why you know when he did yeah it was the same when he went to Le Mans. The longer the stint lengths, the bigger his advantage over everyone else because he just if you think of a computer doing a simulation of the same lap time for fifty laps, Alonso is one of the drivers that can get closest to that optimum every single time. So the longer the race, the better he does. Um, qualifying has never been his strong point. So yeah, I think. Um, uh, I, I think it was a fair question to ask, and I think he gave a fair a fair answer. And um, I'm sure we we will see better days from him during the season. I guess the question will be really is to, is he really is he really as good as he's ever been? I think that's uh, that's kind of an interesting question, really. I think if we were to ask him that now, he'd give a fairly unequivocal answer. But it was it was interesting. He was asked at one point. You know, I should say that the interview that, that the the feature is based on it was a sort of a group session done ahead of the uh, ahead of the Portuguese Grand Prix, and uh, there was a question put to him which did sort of didn't make any sense about you know you're not doing as well as Nicky Lauda and Alan Prost did in their comebacks. Is this this is a sign of how difficult F1 is these days? And he was like, no, 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 I'm not. I basically just I'm not getting into that. And also, let's talk about my comeback further down the line like let's let's look at the end of the season rather than right now which i thought was was, was fair enough really it's a pretty ludicrous question that really because i mean for a start lots of people that have uh, throughout f1 history gone away and come back again have struggled like there are more examples of people not delivering on their comeback i mean mark schumacher would be one for example much more recent uh, and relevant i would suggest than the than the louder and prost ones and Prost came back with, uh, let's be honest, he was one year out, came back in the best car, won the championship and then retired again. So, yeah, not quite the, not quite the same uh, situation, is it? So I think Alonso was, uh, I'm with him on batting that particular question away. John, I think it's, it's just worth, just before we, we go on to sort of uh, analyse the sort of things that Alonso said and how the season's gone so far, talking about the team, talking about Alpine and how things have gone for them, because, you know, 
obviously didn't didn't win the, the the very close third place battle with McLaren and Racing Point last year, but it, it did end on on a, on, a, on a positive note in terms of Daniel Ricciardo got two podiums for what then was Renault. Ocon was on the podium as well, and sort of you really got the sense that it was sort of riding a, a crest of a wave to use a cliche, and then sort of it just seemed to just dip a little bit coming into the season we know that they had the problems with the wind tunnel and wind testing it sort of looked you know the the bulbous airbox was was things that most people were talking about but yet it's managed to turn things around reasonably well i would say so yeah how do you sum up uh, alpine's season so far well the, the season so far has been a bit like their season last year in some respects because it was pretty difficult first half to the season if we, we go back to last year's spanish grand prix you know absolutely pretty much hopeless um car didn't perform at all um i think it was their worst worst race of the season uh and they kind of struggled to make much progress in the first half then they rocked up at spa and something was unlocked in that car i think daniel ricardo had helped find just a better way to set up the car which had come to light at the, the silverstone i think the second race of silverstone they just unlocked something in free practice and then there was a really good run of momentum um, podium finishes all looking cool looking pretty strong even for third place in the Constructors' Championship and then it just fell away really Turkey um, the pace just went away in the race they went into turn one looking really really good um, then the two drivers um, collided pace completely gone and then it never really came back it's like Ocon's podium in Sakir that final half of the season that the Renaults faded away and that fading away kind of carried into the start of this season where the first two races the pace didn't look good um, you know Alonso was looking like he was going to be knocked out in Q1 in Bahrain but you know did a sensational job to get all the way through he was battling for points before the sandwich bag um, kind of derailed him on the Sunday and Ocon had a difficult weekend um, Imola again looked to struggle um, and then they kind of unlocked something in the car and they've made this step forward battling for Q3 um, two good races for Ocon um, so it's hard to judge where they are really have we seen you know is there true pace where they were at the first two races was there true pace where they are now Red Bull um, Helmut Marcos mentioned that this um, clamp down on flexi wings isn't just aimed at Red Bull he singled out Alpine and Alfa Romeo as two other teams in the spotlight so have Alpine found in a midfield where two temps can be the difference between getting knocked out in Q2 and struggling to get into the points and being at the front end of the um, kind of midfield pack for Q3, were Alpine gaining some speed, being quite clever with their wings, and this is what's tipped it. So I think it'd be very, very interesting. I think they should be all right in Monaco this weekend. It'll be more interesting seeing how they go um, in Baku and the subsequent races, especially when the, the new flexi wing tests come in. Kev, that's a sort of a point that Alonso touches on, the, the suggestion that, if you're ever so slightly off in that tight midfield fight, you're going to be well out of it. It's not like you're, you know, you can have, a, I think he says, if you have a supreme weekend at 110%, you know, you can be right towards the front. And if you have a weekend at 95%, maybe you finish eighth or ninth. That, that's that's how the F1 midfield always used to be. Whereas now you're, end, you're well out of the points in 15th and 17th. I mean, do you do you agree with that point of view? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard not to, but it's also a... a not not a convenient excuse, but it's sort of like you know you can you can you can understand why a driver who perhaps did struggle at Imola, as we saw with those spins and and the off ahead of the race, why he would be saying that. 
Oh yeah, the margins are incredibly small, aren't they? I mean, actually, the and they have been in that midfield pack for the last few last few seasons. Um, just the, the the fact that we've had Mercedes running away at the front, I think, has given the impression that you know the you know the races are boring and it's predictable. Well, there have been times where that's been true up front, but the the, the midfield battles have been sensational at times. You know, if you took uh, if you took Mercedes and, and I suppose more recently Red Bull out of it, we'd have had some absolutely phenomenal races right to the flag, and you wouldn't have. You know, you'd have had a hell of a job writing the reports, Alex. You wouldn't know who was going to who was going to come out on top uh, until quite near the end. So, um, no, he's he's right. The margins are incredibly small, and I think that you know what, what sort of to, to tie into what John's saying. You know, the it's it's not just the development race; it's also just characteristics of of getting on top of the of the tire and the circuit on that particular day. And you can only be yeah you know, if you're five percent better than you were at the last at the last event or someone is five percent off then suddenly you go from being a tenth or two behind to a tenth or two ahead so yeah no it is incredibly close and you would expect i think this comes back to the alonso factor you would expect that once he's firing all cylinders you know we saw we saw it at mclaren he could actually make sure he found that tenth or two every time so he was invariably really at he was where the car should be or arguably a bit ahead if other people made you know didn't didn't get their act together and so that's what we're looking for with with alonso um, and let's face it, I think whether he ever is able to win a third world title is more likely to be down to what Alpine does and how the 2022 rules come in than anything about him, really. Indeed, and that's a good point to, to move on to um, because Alonso says in the interview, again, I think, I think it's a question I asked him about, you know, what is 2021? Is it just a preparation year? looking to the rules reset in 2022 and he sort of he gives quite a nice answer really he's like well he's like well no because you know you're a competitor you're an athlete every time you get in the car you you do your absolute best it's not like you're just like okay yeah it doesn't really matter what I do now because it's all about next year you know that 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 competitive spirit is never going to go away but then he's unequivocal again he's like of course it's a preparation year you know only two teams can win this year in in Mercedes and Red Bull and everybody knew what was going to happen with the carryover car design rules and and looking ahead to the big changes coming um but yeah he also sort of ends on a bit of a pessimistic point and I I wondered John what you what you made of that where he sort of says yeah, eventually those rules and those new cars is, are going to mean lots and lots of teams can win races and hopefully championships. But he doesn't—he's not—he doesn't see it happening in twenty twenty two. He thinks it's going to be a few years down the line. Do you, do you agree with that point of view, or is it just something that is just too much of an unknown at this point? No, I think think history of Formula One shows that um, the best way to close the field up is to have stable regulations. And when you um, introduce new regulations, it always always starts with one team has unlocked or exploited an area of the rules where the biggest performance has come from. They hit the ground running and they go, and then eventually people kind of cotton on and understand it and are able to catch up. But I think even, you know, F1 figures like Ross Braun, I've discussed this with him saying that, you know, the likelihood is that 2022 we will have a spread out field and the you know potential for one team to completely dominate. Uh, he's well aware of that. He accepts that that's the history of Formula One. But... If we want to get to a point where we do have four or five teams able to win each race and the field is more equitable and every team has a chance for podium finish and the racing is closer, then this is a price worth paying that we've got to change the rules and do something because we can't just keep carrying on the way we are forever with two teams clearly out in front and then a midfield pack with you know no chance of doing anything sensational. So it's unfortunately a price we're going to have to pay next season 
And I can guarantee there'll be endless stories and complaints at the start of the next year about why have we changed the rules? This is terrible. That's XXX team has lapped everybody else. Um, have we made a mistake? But we'll just have to, we'll go through it and eventually it'll all close up again. Yeah, I just, just I mean, I think Alonso is, would agree with Braun. In fact, he even said just to you, didn't he, Alex, that you know, he sees the first year as being exactly what John's described. But after that, because of the way the cost cap is and the, and the rules are couched, the closing up should happen hopefully quite quickly uh, and will also happen to a degree that we've perhaps not seen for a while. So the idea is that by 23, 24, we've got five, six, seven teams at the front. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to imagine. Uh, so I don't think we've had that sort of situation since Cosworth DFV days in the 70s, really. Um, unless you count that bizarre start to 2012, which is all down to Pirelli tyres, which is a different podcast altogether. Um, uh, yeah, I would say the, the one rule change that did close up the field almost instantly was um, the banning of all the gizmos in 94. If you simplify the cars, you you can sometimes have a, a, a rule change that actually does bring them close together. I think I think John's right. I think probably because of the nature of the challenge and there's going to be more you know, ground effects and it's quite a different aerodynamic um, philosophy. There probably will be a, there'll be there'll probably be one big team that completely messes it up and falls down the field. Sorry, Ferrari. And then there'll probably be there'll probably be uh, one of the one of the teams, Red Bull, Mercedes, that, that gets on top of it. But hopefully, longer term, we'll have four or five teams in there, and then Alonso can be fighting for wins if he hangs around long enough. I mean, he's you know he's uh, he's going to be in his forties by the time he gets a chance to take a shot at, at Hamilton again for a championship at this rate. Well, yeah, that that was going to be my next question, really. I mean, by looking forward that far down the line, I sort of, you know, you you sort of you read into his words that 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 is what he's thinking that he's going to have to stick around for a few years to, in order to get that that chance. But is there also, John, and what what you think on this? Is there also a chance that maybe if if it's not if it is the exact scenario that he's predicting that things aren't close and it's going to take many many years for for Alpine to get into the fight that that maybe he will say okay I'll go and have another crack at, at IndyCar and the Indy 500 and and things like that Do you, could you see that as a realistic possibility too I think it all depends on how competitive Alpine turn out to be next season and where it stacks up in that field I think the belief for every driver is that sure one team one or two teams are going to get it spot on next year and the other is going to struggle. And their hope is that it's their team that gets it spot on. Um, I mean, the likelihood is it will be Mercedes or Red Bull or Ferrari that um, are there because although the the cost cap is in place, there's still more resources available. They've still got the, the brightest brains. They've still got the ability to kind of cleverly throw more resources and devote more time and effort towards it. Um, into the pot so it could be them but it has happened in the past I mean you look at um, you know, the classic Braun example you know no one would have expected Braun to happen and kind of overthrow the establishment so when something if there is a you know an avenue of car development that proves to be absolute key to unlocking the performance from these cars and it just so happens that Alpine comes onto it or you know, it could be Alfa Romeo cons onto it or something totally random. Um, there could be this dramatic shake-up. So I think his future will be dictated by where Alpine stacks up in that pack. And if he sees the potential for there to be a turnaround, that, um, you know, he could be fighting for the top five places and just feel that, or a little step forward from the team next year and we can be up there. But if you're battling for 18th, there's no prospect, your teammates are second lap quicker and you're going nowhere, then I think he will 
probably come out and say that Formula One isn't what it used to be. It's not much fun. The rules have failed and it's much more fun going to do IndyCar. Indeed. Well, yeah, I've, I mean, it's my it's my first experience of uh, of covering a championship that Fernando Alonso's, Fernando Alonso's in. Obviously, he wasn't there, wasn't on the grid last year. And it's just interesting just just, just, just hearing him talk. I, do, I genuinely find it fascinating. And I think that that comes across in the feature that you just got to, you got to watch all the words he says. I just, I think it's, there's always something really interesting coming out of it. And I think let, we'll go on to, to chat about what he's what he said about the state of Formula One and the changes that have been made. You know, in addition to the cost cap, things like sprint races and and other steps that Liberty Media has taken. Uh, but before we do that, Kev, I wondered if we could also just chat about Esteban Ocon because, as we said earlier on, you know, he has been doing very very well. But his performance also makes it a little bit harder to gauge how good Alonso and Alpine overall have been doing because. While he has been very good, you know, he, he didn't ever look like he was going to get on terms with Daniel Ricciardo last year. But then again, he was out of the championship for, for a time as well. And, and he had to come back and build up and go through that same process that Alonso's doing. But, um, but yeah, how impressed have you been by Ocon so far this year? I can't really make up my mind about Ocon. Uh, you know, obviously he came up, you know, he was very good in the in the junior ranks. And he was, yeah, there was talk at one stage of him being the you know, being a possible future Mercedes driver. And obviously that didn't happen. And then, as you say, he did really struggle against Daniel Ricciardo. I think he's, we talked about before, I think he's he's absolutely fantastic. And I think um, he will show better at McLaren later in the year than he has early on. I think once he's got his head around the car, he'll be he'll be on it again. Um, so I, fi- I find Ocon very difficult to place. You know, he's been jumped by George Russell in the, you know, if you're having the discussion about who's going to either replace Lewis Hamilton when he retires or if Bottas gets the flick, who's going to be in the car. And, and nobody ever really talks about Ocon anymore. It's all about George Russell, really. Um, but he's obviously, a, he is a very good driver, but it's just, yeah, he's I, I, he's not as convincing um, as, you know, your, your Leclerc's, your Verstappen's, your Russell's of, of that next generation coming through. But obviously, if he can get through the season and and, and beat Alonso, um, then obviously that will be that will be quite a big a big thing for him. Uh, but I'm kind of interested to see what what John thinks really as well of Ocon because I I do struggle to to place him really in the you know in the on the current grid. I think he's I think you've got to look at the I mean Fernando t- talking to Fernando Fernando always gives great answers and he's always considered facts and stuff to back up um, his arguments. So last race, I asked him about Ocon, just what do you think about the performance? And Fernando came out and said, you know, he's doing an amazing job, really impressive. I'm giving 100%. And at the moment, that's not good enough to beat him. But, and this is where the explanation came in, he talked about there being the scenario, especially at the Renault team, where the, the new guy comes in and struggles against the incumbent. So he said it happened when um, uh, he mentioned Carlos and Hulkenberg then he mentioned Ricardo and Hulkenberg. Then he mentioned um, Ocon and Ricardo. And now he says it's the same with myself, Fernando and Ocon. That the new guys, you know, a bit behind, having to get understand how to get the most out of the car and exploit the most out of the car. And it's the incumbent who hits the ground running, does a really, really good job. And we've we've seen that with Esteban. It took him six months to kind of understand, get back into Formula One. The Renault car is a completely different concept to the Mercedes and. Um, racing point or Force India or whatever the team was called when he was racing for them. So he had to learn all those different approaches. And then it came there and then Sakir, uh, he got his second place finish, which was really good. And he's hit the ground running this year, you know, unlucky in Bahrain in qualifying. Um, I actually think to be out qualifying Fernando Alonso, the way he's done has been impressive. He's outraced him as well. 
considering how many careers Fernando's buried, because uh, we know he's a sensational force. Um, and also, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's not in the frame for Mercedes, only because I think, you know, Toto's mentioned Ocon a little bit now, just says that, you know, George isn't the only option. And you do wonder in kind of Toto's weighing up what they do with Mercedes in the future, if Lewis stays or Lewis doesn't stay and what they do with Valtteri. That kind of what happened with George at Imola, the kind of the, the fighting with Valtteri and the problems of what George said afterwards and bigging it all up and the trouble and the apology. Toto has learned with Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton that having kind of politics and internal conflict within a team and two alpha males in these highly tense environments is a far more difficult scenario to deal with than the, the kind of the calmness that exists at the moment with Valtteri and Lewis. So you do want as part of that weighing up that if he senses that Ocon can do the step up, would there be kind of fewer politics and less chance for clash um, with Ocon there as opposed to George there? But I think it would only come if Toto felt that Ocon could have a could have a good career at Alpine. And he has said that it will be up to Ocon and Alpine to decide first what they do. Well, I mean, if uh, if Esteban Ocon got the call up to uh, to Mercedes, I think uh, not only would you have a very unhappy Valtteri Bottas and George Russell, you'd have a Fernando Alonso green with envy <laughs> after all the years of watching that car dominate and knowing he was going to get nowhere near it. But there we go. But um, but returning to Alonso, um, I thought it was also very interesting that, um, like I said, the, the things that he had to say about Formula One. There was there was one point where he sort of he went on a, a nice uh, nice answer where he touched on all the championships that he'd raced raced in in the last few years. So you know you've got IndyCar, uh, the World Endurance Championship, and of course Dakar. And he sort of it gave you know very interesting explanations of where he sees those championships. But one thing that really struck me, John, that I sort of I wondered whether uh, what you what you thought of these words, where he spoke about Formula One as being the championship that was just was going to do better coming out of the pandemic. Is that do you think that's the a sort of reaction to things like the cost cap coming in and changes being made there, or is there a specific commercial thing that you think he might have spotted, and that's that's just what he's particularly keen to, to talk about? I think because he talks a lot about kind of liberty and the influence that liberty's had and the, the understanding of the fans. Um, and I think that may be kind of the fan perception, maybe something that he's kind of appreciated being out of Formula One, that, he's, you know, he's just, it's a different experience dealing with fans and kind of followers and um, all that in IndyCar. And it's different in WEC and different in Dakar. So he's probably seen perceptions change and just a slightly different understanding of sport and his standing. And he wasn't happy with the old, you know, Formula One that he didn't feel was in touch with the fans, didn't feel the racing was good, didn't feel that any team outside of, you know, the big money manufacturers had a had a shot at anything. So I think it's just a, a changing of the tide. And also, um, you know, his whole career was about Formula One, that he was, you know, he stuck around for so long with Ferrari, went back to McLaren because he loved Formula One and he loves winning and he's desperate for that third championship and that's why he's come back so um but as I kind of mentioned earlier it's it's slightly tongue-in-cheek but if the Alpine's not performing next year and if he's struggling to get on terms with Ocon whoever else his teammate is then he'll come out and say that F1 rules haven't worked and it's not been as sensational as it could be and it was a missed opportunity so I think but, but I think a lot of racing drivers do that that it's kind of a um a reassurance in their present position of where they're racing 
that it's the best thing they can be can be in. Um, you know, we see a Roman Grosjean now in IndyCar talk about how fantastic it is and amazing it is. But if he was winning in Formula One, he'd be saying that F one's a place to be and it's the best sport in the world. Basically, every Formula E driver does that. <laughs> Formula E is the best thing, but if they were given a Mercedes driving Formula One, oh yeah, they turn it down, really? I don't think so. Anyway, sorry, Kev, you're going to jump in. Well, I think this actually links to it. I think also there's a lot of, there's a pragmatic element to this as well. If he was ever going to win another F1 title or you know, have another F, big F1 chance, he kind of had to come back sooner rather than later. You know, the longer you leave it, the lower your stock, the older he is, you know, he's okay. So I know top athletes can stretch their careers now longer um, because of, you know, modern fitness and, and, and dietary knowledge and all that sort of thing. But, you know, there will come a point where you start to, you start to go over the other side of the, of the hill and you start to diminish with your abilities. So I think there is a, that, there is that kind of, he needs to come back now sort of thing. And if you look at the other things that he wants to do or, or has looked at, you know, he has won Le Mans twice uh, the World Endurance Championship is probably going to be mega again in two or three years. So if the F1 thing has, has, has fallen over by then, I'm sure you'll be able to go and get a drive in a, a Porsche or an Audi or a Ferrari or whatever it might be at Le Mans, go and do that. Um, uh, Dakar, he, he said himself that you can do that much later in life. I mean, you might have some personal experience there, given the, given the father of, uh, of his mate, Carl Sainz, you know, still going back and doing it. So he's got no rush there. IndyCar... I mean, again, he can go to that later on. So um, I think he he could, he can go and do these other things kind of whenever. You know, he's Fernando Alonso. He's shown that he can be adaptable. It's not a difficult conversation for him to have with sports car teams or IndyCar teams now. But getting back into F1 and being able to perform at the pinnacle of the sport, I think that's probably a sooner rather than later thing. Well, I've got uh, I've got two questions left, and it's one for each of you, and they're both sort of a bit of blue sky thinking questions, maybe 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 unanswerable. Um, but John, I think I think perhaps you get the more difficult one. Do you think Fernando Alonso can win a third Formula One world title? If he has the car underneath him, I think it can be possible. But if all machinery was equal, going up against Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, I think it would be quite a tough order at the moment. I think can't under we can't play down how good Lewis is performing at the moment I think you're seeing peak Lewis and peak Max now um, I think they've both pushed themselves to a to a different level and I think also I have to understand that I think Formula 1's changed a lot since Fernando was at his peak they've been these new power units um, you know the way of driving exploiting them and getting the best out of tyres and optimising battery usage and energy usage and differentials and all that I think it's a different different game and a different mindset and it's something that young drivers are adapting to really really well um, you know just look at the, the way Norris has kind of stepped up so rapidly um, so I think delivering at the peak now requires a kind of requires levels that aren't just necessarily about being a fast um, talented race you know racing driver with three pedals and a steering wheel no buttons on it and no energy management. I think it's much more complicated package to be successful in Formula One now. So I think if Fernando's got the car, um, that can do it. Yes, but um, it probably need a bit of a bit of a um, pace advantage over someone like Lewis or Max. Just as I think you know Lewis or Max to beat each other, that battle is going to come down to who has the best car on the day. I was going to jump in there, although I think that, that, that last comment about Max and Lewis, I think is very interesting because I think so far Lewis is in the lead of the championship where Max should be, but that's a, 
that's a, that's a separate podcast. <laughs> but I think the point about peaks actually is really important. In that I think five years ago, I'd have said in equal equipment, Alonso has the capability of, of beating Hamilton across a season. Well, Nico Rosberg did five years ago. <laughs> um, okay, so there were other factors going on. But I, I think that yeah, when Alonso was at Ferrari and Hamilton was at McLaren and, and neither of them quite had the right kit, I think Alonso did a better job with what he had. I think at that point in their careers, he was the more complete driver. But I agree with John. I think since, I think probably since maybe the middle of 2017, Hamilton has really you know, become the complete package and, and probably is the most complete F1 driver we've seen. I think had Pete Alonso been in the 2018 Ferrari against Pete Hamilton in, in the 2018 Merck, I think that would have been phenomenal. I think Hamilton has seen off all of his contemporaries except Alonso in terms of a wheel-to-wheel straight fight. But I think now maybe we are at the point where yeah, is Alonso, is, has Alonso just gone past his peak, whereas Hamilton's still at it. So I think, um, yeah, I think I, I'd agree with John. I think probably we've got to the point now where he would need some kind of edge over over Lewis to beat him over a season. Um, I just I just wondered what you thought of uh, my point in the feature that I, I do think that Formula One is ultimately better off for having Fernando Alonso in it because of what he brings, whether it is his talent behind the wheel and also his his persona and the things he says off the track. I think any championship, you know, he's, he's got to be pleased to have that in it. Um, but yeah, I just wanted, do, do you agree? What did, what did you think of that? Oh, I'm an enormous Alonso fan. I think he's fantastic to watch on the track. He's, he makes things happen. You know, peak Alonso is, is you know, something to behold. Yeah, I'd I, I put him in the top 10 or 12 Grand Prix drivers of all time. Uh, and that's something, as you know, Alex, I think a lot about. You know, I think he's, he's that, yeah, he, he two, two world championships sell him incredibly short. Um, so from a, an on-track point of view all the time he's performing great and actually when he's done his, his sort of magical mystery tour around other sporting events you know Le Mans and Indy 500 which are obviously two enormous events, events in their own right he raised their profile or raised the interest in them when he was there so great for those you know I know some of the diehard fans were like oh it's just about Alonso but you know people are interested other people are interested in your category because he's doing it and then as as you both said he gives intelligent thoughtful insightful answers he he also he's old enough that he kind of doesn't care like he'll say what he thinks um which is which is obviously great as well so yeah no i think both on and off track he's someone that uh yeah that you want to have on on the grid i think the moment that he's he's not able to perform then i think you know you, I, I would hate to see him do sort of doing a, a graham hill type uh, effort of hanging around for years and years too long um, past their past their best, but I suspect Alonso won't do that. He'll be smart enough to go and do something else then. Well, guys, that's uh, that's all our chat. We're going to go through about Fernando Alonso over. But Kev, what else in the magazine should the readers be checking out this week? Yeah, we like to have sort of a historical element to your to these cover features as well. So James Newbold has actually done a piece off the back of yours, Alex, about Benetton's 2001 season, where they went from being seconds off the pace of the Giancarlo Fisichella and Jensen Button and hauled themselves. Uh, where they actually both qualified in the top 10 at the, at the, the uh, season finale and, of course, set themselves up for uh, winning the World Championship four years later with Fernando Alonso. So I thought that uh, you know, if Alpine could do something like that, I'm sure they'd, uh, they'd be very happy. Uh, and then we've also, um, uh, Gary Watkins has taken a look at 15 years of uh, GT3 category, which I think probably has got to be considered the most successful category in the world now. Um, he estimates that there have been something just over 2,000 cars made uh, and the little insight into that that I like is that Mercedes actually went up to Stefan Rattel when he launched the idea and went, we will never build a car 
for this category and they've now built more cars for gt3 than any other manufacturer so that was a nice little snippet there uh, and then with the with the the national side of things it's quite a, a bumper section this week because we're looking ahead to the British GT season and uh, BRDC F3. So uh, obviously British Touring Cars already started and then the other two big national championships kicking off this weekend. So um, yeah, lots lots packed in there after your uh, after your Alonso interview. Good, good. That's what I like to hear. Well, John, Kev, thank you very much for joining me tonight and uh, everyone listening along. That's our podcast for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. There's my interview with AlphaTauri's Pierre Gasly and Ben Edwards' assessment of Red Bull's chances for this weekend's Monaco Grand Prix, both of which are also included in this month's edition of GP Racing Magazine. Plus, you can also read John's column asking just how long the title fight between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen can stay clean. New Autosport Plus subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today, and we'll be back soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. Podcast Network.